Let's have a, another word of prayer and we'll commit our time to the Lord again. Um, Heavenly Father, we um, very much aware some of the songs we're singing this morning in the opening part of our service here next hour uh, talk about our weakness and our inability to make the mark. And um, you know, the gospel is for sinners. It's for people who, who recognize that they fall short, who understand that they have tried all the other options. And when you're at the bottom, the only place you have is to look up. And we thank you because actually the way up is down in the Bible. The way to exaltation, the way to real glory that matters is through humbling ourselves and recognizing that you are who you say you are. You are the God of all things. You are completely in charge. And as we look at John 11 here, we see the helplessness of the disciples, the helplessness of Martha, of Mary, of the Jews. And they're complaining in that situation. We can understand that because we don't like to be helpless. We like to be in control, or think we are anyway. And we like it when things are going the way we think that they ought to go. And, and, and we think that we're keeping them going and all the plates are spinning and doing what they're supposed to do. But we don't like it when things are falling down around us and our, our, our world is threatened and we're frightened of the future. It seems like there's a, a train wreck on the horizon <clears throat> because it reminds us that we're not really in control like we think. And, uh, but those are, it's a good place to be. So we thank you for that low point, which we feel this chapter is so full of emotion and we can relate to that. We can relate to the disappointment. We can relate to the fear. We can relate to the anger. We can relate to, to, um, the struggle back and forth. Uh, I know you're Lord, but I don't understand what you're doing in this situation. We can relate to that because on the other side of it, on the other side of death for the believer is eternal life. And you are the way. You are the truth. As you told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And we thank you that that's as true today as it was then. Be with us this morning as we open your word. And I pray this morning also for other churches in our area. We've got a lot of churches. I've passed uh, several, uh, one at least anyway, coming here every morning. And, and we just we pray for them. We're not in competition. We're working together, uh, at least we hope. Uh, and, and not all churches are proclaiming your word uh, this day and age in our in our society we're seeing more and more compromise about that yesterday and father that's a there's there's nothing more disappointing than a church with a cross outside that christ has left a long time ago and so we pray that that's not true of us and we pray that you would restore uh your word uh, to many pulpits around this land and uh, today around the world even as believers meet uh, have met our meeting that you would open your word and by your spirit, you would do uh, much work in many hearts for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so we have three copies of these notes, the raising of Lazarus. Um, as I was studying this past week, I and I'll, I'll talk about that here more in a minute, but I changed our outline. Okay, and I changed it on... 
the new and improved notes, which you don't get unless you're late. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Okay, all right, sure. Yeah, get the, the new and improved version 2.0. Okay. What, what's missing off of that? When you said you got an improved version. If we have, what I was going to do is, is just tell you what, what um, the, the outline itself is, the points are still the same. It's just expressed better. At least I think it is. Okay. And, and I'll, 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 you'll see that here in a minute. So what you can do is just in the margin, just take a pen and write, and I'll tell you what those points are. But if we have anybody else come in, um, there's some notes right here, and we may need to make extra copies or whatever. I will. So, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Let me dial this back and get some feedback on that. The raising of Lazarus. Last time we looked at this, uh, these paragraphs up here, the meaning behind the sign, right? Um, second from uh, the bottom paragraph there, I just want to read that again. This brings us to the meaning behind the sign. Not only does it inspire belief in Jesus as God's Messiah, that is the resurrection, resurrection of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, but it serves to picture the spiritual deadness of all people who are born first into a state of rebellion against God, right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and God, what? He made us alive. He made us alive. Dead men, dead women don't respond. Period. Right? At least not to us. Only if you have the ability to impart life. And when Jesus does this, I don't want to jump ahead too much. But when Jesus does this, the power, the power to be able to do that, I mean, it's it's amazing enough to be able to give life to a dead body. But to have commanding power, not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual, to go and summon the spirit of Lazarus to bring him back to that body that has now been reversed in, instantly, by the way, they didn't wait for many more hours while he slowly comes through and comes out of a coma, right, and all that. I mean, he was like right there. That is power and glory. That's amazing. Um, so, but all of that, as amazing as it is physically to see that, to stand there and be a witness, um, it is a picture for us of salvation. Because you and I have no, I was talking to David Ford yesterday and talking about his brother, right? And, and talking about others that we know, love. And, uh, and said to him, you know, he's like, I, I talked to my brother. He's a smart guy. And we talk about all kinds of other topics. And he's engaged and we're, we're on track with it. But as soon as the gospel comes up, it's just like, you know, it's like Paul says, you know, you know, talks about that veil, right? There's a veil. He's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, but there's a veil even today in the reading of Moses, a veil lies over their heart. They can't see it. They go to their own synagogue Sabbath after Sabbath, and they hear 
the words of Moses, but they don't really understand. You know, and, and we know what that's like, right? We got family members and friends and people that are just intelligent people, and you can carry on conversations about fishing and sports, computers, what's going on in politics in the news, and cleaning the bus and whatever it is, or work, you know. And they're engaged with you and they're talking, they're friendly, but as soon as the gospel comes up, it's like, no. Okay? It's because they need new life. We're all dead spiritually. We have no ability innately to respond. That's a very important point. And this, this raising of Lazarus is an illustration of that. Just like in John 9, the man born blind is another illustration of it, right? You know, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, but these two signs, especially as we get near the end of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of John, these two signs really stand out as examples of the need for God's power in salvation, that he and he alone is the way. Jesus is going to say that in chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's a kind of a companion statement to what he says here in chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life, right? You can't get the resurrection and the life. You can't, I'm the way to, to that. I'm the only means by which that happens. All right, so let's continue reading. Like Lazarus, we too need to be resurrected. Like Lazarus, we have no ability to raise ourselves. Like Lazarus, none of the people around us, with all their love, good intentions, money, and connections, can do anything to stop the consequences of sin in us. As I told David Ford, I can't even save myself, let alone anybody else, right? Also known, also known as husband accessory. Um, like the proverbial Humpty Dumpty, all the resources of the king and his men cannot undo the dreadful destruction of sin. Right? When you think about that, all these people standing around, uh, I don't want to jump too far here, but we, we'll, yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> all right. Faced with these impossible odds, Jesus calmly walks to the tomb and without fanfare speaks to the dead man and expects him to respond. Only Jesus stands there with the power and authority to do the impossible. The same is true today when it comes to the hearts of all sinners. He alone has the power to raise the dead. And that's kind of our context setting. So let's get into this outline that's here. Uh, the new outline, okay, the old outline says, point number one, Jesus orders the stone to be removed over the objection of Martha. The new outline, okay, you want to write this in there. Jesus raises the stone. Okay. Jesus raises the stone. Okay. No, I got a pen. If you give me. Oh, oh, that's right. He's he's got the, he's sitting back. I'm enjoying the with his coffee, his shoes off. Yeah. I'll tell you what. For all the rest of you good students out there, if you're <laughs> writing notes. First point, Jesus raises the stone despite the objection of Martha. Jesus raises the stone 
despite the objection of Martha. It sounds like a weird way of phrasing it, right? Yes, Jesus sir. raises the stone. So let me explain what that is. Let's go into our text this morning, uh, chapter thirty, sorry, chapter eleven, verse thirty-eight, uh, letter B, really. So it's the second half, but we'll start with the beginning of thirty-eight, okay, through forty-one A. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave; a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there is an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. As I was studying this past week, um, I, was, I, I, I like to look at the Greek words. Sometimes. And and I was in there and I was look, poking around um, in the Greek words and in this little Bible app that I that you heard Dad talk about and I, I recommend it's called Literal Word really really good for that it's it's, it's only one translation it's the uh, um, forty did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God Martha. You're trying to remind me as if I've forgotten, but you're the one actually who's forgotten. Let me remind you what I told you. Right? How many times do we need to be reminded? David. <laughs> I think of the Apostle Peter, and he writes in his epistles, there's no trouble for me to remind you of these things. And, 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 you know, I've heard, I've actually heard some people say, well, I don't need to come to church anymore. I've heard everything. I've heard that too. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? First of all, you've heard everything. If you think you've heard everything, you've heard nothing. You are, you're not even kindergarten. You're in preschool. I think you've graduated college. That's number one. Number two is, even if you have heard it, there's something different. Every time. But you forget what you already knew anyway, right? And how many times have we, like Martha, been wrapped up in circumstances? Yet yeah, we're constantly in the world and our minds are pulled into circumstances and the world's way of thinking and our own fleshly <laughs> habits of thinking and we forget. And so the Lord reminds her here and he reminds us as well. Did I not tell you that if you believe, there's our key word, right? This is the key word for the whole chapter is belief. We're going to see that actually spill over into chapter 12. The consequences are next. I'm already working on the notes. I, I'm titling the next set of notes. This is the working title. I think it will be the final one. Uh, Unbelief on trial. Because coming up at the tail end of this chapter is the real trial of Jesus. Now, he, it was not a fair trial because he wasn't there to defend himself. Okay, But it's the real trial. Uh, the ones that they have on the night he was betrayed are really just showboating because they've already decided what the outcome is okay and uh but as we move through that you're going to see the belief of people who who saw this and believe and it's going to go on into chapter 12 and chapter 12 this word here appears again um and so when you connect the dots here that's the key word this whole thing is all about believing it's all about believing that you may believe that he is the the 
agent of God, the, the sent one, the heavenly witness, the Savior, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. Okay, so they, verse 41a, they raised the stone. Okay, so that's our first point. Again, Jesus raises the stone despite the objection of Martha. Let's look at the next section here. 41b through 42. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here, that they may what? Believe that you sent me. There's a number of things here. First of all, let me ask you this. Is it a sin to not close your eyes when you or somebody in your hearing is praying? <laughs> no. Otherwise, I'd have raised my drive. <laughs> it's just respect. Respect. Yeah, I just Around and I just that me for a while, but you know, nobody else was. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 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 His brothers would agree with that, right? Just like what Pastor Peter said, we talk to them all day long. And there may be all situations we think of, uh, mm -hmm. and we don't expect. I, I feel like you don't expect it, but that, you know, if I'm the one for my head, or even just a thing. Like you said, he's driving. Let this liberate you. If you're, if you, if you have some kind of, some kind of legalistic personal preference issue here, and, and you really, you see some, you know, like proverbial kids when, when Sunday school finished, Sunday school teachers finished praying. Johnny had his eyes open during the prayer. How do you know that, right? If that bothered you when you're a kid, it still bothers you now when you're peeking and seeing everybody else make sure that they have their eyes closed, you know. Let let this verse put that pharisaical self-righteousness to rest because Jesus does not close his eyes here. What does he do? He lifts them up. He looks up. The Bible doesn't give us a prescription for physical posture in prayer. We in our in our in our modern culture today here, modern Christian culture, such as it is, have this, you know, now bow your head, close your eyes, and fold your hands, right? This is the prayer posture that's the only one acceptable to God. No, it's not. The psalmists talk about raising their hands to him, right? That was a prayer posture. That was a very common prayer posture then. Uh, sometimes they fell on their face. Uh, we we um in the other John Bible study I'm leading, uh, we're, we're, we've just finished chapter 17, we're moving into 18, and, and we spent some time, this last time, looking at what the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, say about the whole experience of Jesus in the garden. And in the garden, instead of lifting his eyes up to the Father, it says he went on his face. 
face to the dirt, the Son of God with his face in the dirt, praying to God. What a posture, right? And a different posture, a very different one than the one here. So kneeling, face down, standing, arms raised, eyes looking up, head down. Does the physical posture matter? Sometimes they beat the breast. Remember, remember the parable of the, the publican who went to the front of the synagogue and prayed thus with himself, right? His eyes looking to heaven as if God were his peer. And at the back is the tax gatherer who was what? Head bowed, beating his breast, which was a sign of, of, of deep sorrow and brokenness in that culture. What a contrast in the, in the what what is God really looking at? Is He looking? Well, you didn't, you didn't open your, pride, your your eye. You you opened your eyes during prayer, so everything you would have said is I, I didn't hear. Is that what He's doing? <laughs> yeah, what's He looking at? What matters? Your heart. Your heart, right? Your heart. And um, and I want to say that I think probably one of the things that's really really helped improve my prayer life, such as it is, there's a lot more room for improvement. Okay. But knowing the scriptures as well, because when you have the scriptures in there, you can pray God's promises back to him, right? Lord, I know your word says this, but I don't see that. But I know your word says this, and i I got to stand on that. You know, it's not that you're reminding him of it. Really, you're reminding yourself, but you're also coming into the authority of his own word. Okay? So it's not the posture that matters. Don't, don't get a guilt trip if you have to. Pray while you're driving with your eyes open, or you know, Nick, with his with his eyes open, that's okay. You know, I think I think the reason, <clears throat> I mean, there may be a practical reason for it. You know, just to close your eyes to keep out distractions, right? I mean, that, that, that's the that's the reason I like to do it because it's just easier for me to concentrate. I'm not looking at him; I can't see him there. You know, if I'm if I'm talking to you, you know, generally more to look at somebody you talk to. Can't see the Lord, so closing your eyes helps you to really focus, but there's not some kind of magic power to it, right? And Jesus doesn't do that here. He just doesn't do it. Another thing I thought was interesting here is, um, I don't know if you've seen anybody, or maybe you've done this too. I, I have to confess I've done this. Is as you're praying out loud in front of a number of people, you start to preach a little sermon. You ever done that? And you're, you're really praying to them too, you know. And, and sometimes we get critical about that. But what's interesting here is Jesus expressly says, I'm praying this out loud. I'm saying the things I'm saying so they can hear it. Huh. So I don't think that God the Father is really put out when we come to him in prayer in, in a corporate setting and you pray things that are also edifying everybody else around you. Now, if you're calling glory to yourself or something, or worse yet, I think one of the worst kinds of prayers that are kind of kind of popular in many churches today is praying to the devil. Oh yeah, if you've not heard this, it's it's kind of weird. Okay, and in the middle of the prayer, and then Jesus, we thank you that you are God and you are on the throne today. Devil, we rebuke you and we say in the name of Jesus. I want to take those people to Jude. And say Jude warns us about that. Not even Michael, the great archangel, would confront the devil. He said, "The Lord rebuked you." 
We are not ever, ever to pray to the devil. Don't do that. You pray to the Lord. You can ask the Lord. You know, we do that for BBS, right? We, we know it's a spiritual battle. We saw that this past BBS, very tangible. Um, and we can pray to the Lord and ask him to set a protection around us, you know, spiritually and, and guard these children as they go into their homes where all this evil is and this deception. You can do that, but don't ever pray to the devil. The Lord directs his prayer to the Father. He, he gives us the instruction to do the same, right? In the disciples' prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. The disciples' prayer. We're going to see the Lord's prayer in John 17. The disciples' prayer. It's given in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, you know, our Father who is who art in heaven. Right? So, point is who you who he teaches us to go to right? the father in heaven so pray to the devil pray to the father in heaven um so his prayer posture his eyes were lifted up he prayed in a way that edified the audience he knew that they could hear so it's not like you just ignore them and you you know you're only focusing on them. it's in an audience right and if i'm if i'm talking to dad right now i know the rest of you are hearing and i may say let me tell you about rick and I'm telling you something, but 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 I know that Rick can hear that. Right? So here's a good opportunity for him to, you know, for me, for, yes, right. Let me tell you about. I like the word they used in NIV for their benefit. For their benefit, yes. And I know you put that in there too, but when you read that, so yeah, I agree with you. But it says, for their benefit. <laughs> Plus, you tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. The word benefit, you know, is for their benefit. Yeah. That's right. And, that, and, that, and I like that because that's very clear. The ESV says here, um, he says, I, I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here. But notice again, okay, all of that is, is hopefully to help straighten us up on prayer itself right okay well, why what is what is missing from here this is astounding to me what is missing from his prayer that you would expect to be there what's he about to do what's he about to do he's about to raise Lazarus, about to raise Lazarus. <clears throat> but he's done that thanks thank you Lazarus isn't even mentioned in the prayer. The raise, the resurrection isn't there. It's not there at all. What comes later? Well, in 42, he said, he said, why, you know? I mean, in 42, he said, you always hear me when I say it out loud. That they believe that you said. For the sake of all the people. He doesn't even ask the Father for the power and authority to do it. He thinks they the father knows his heart. I thank you that you hear me. I, you always hear me. So he affirms what Martha says earlier that, that Lord, yet I know that God will give you whatever you ask, right? So he affirms that part of it. But what's interesting here, and I put that in, a, in our introductory notes. I don't know if you picked that up on the, on the reread of the last two paragraphs there. But He's about to do the greatest public miracle he ever did. I'm convinced of that. 
And this is this is above and beyond even the other other two resurrections that are recorded. Apparently, some of the gospels leave us hints that he raised other people, perhaps. Okay, but we have at least two other recordings of resurrections done, but they were shortly after those people died. This one, there's no doubt whatsoever, because this man's been dead for four days. The body is well into its decay process. And that's given evidence by the odor, right, that comes out. There's no mistaking that. And this is the greatest miracle, public, public miracle. The greatest sign that he ever did was his, that he gave us his own resurrection that trumps this one, but it's a private miracle. It's not one that he didn't walk come out of the tomb and go right back to the temple and display himself to the leaders. Um, that was a private miracle. He displayed himself only to those who believed him. It's very interesting. Right? This is the greatest public miracle that he did. He's about to do it, and he doesn't even mention it. Pretty interesting. Okay? Instead, he is thankful. He is grateful that the Father has already heard him. Father has already given him this authority. And he knows that. And he knows, he also knows, because the circumstances are perfect. We've already covered that. I didn't cover that in our background a lot, right? But who is it that's standing around? Is it just the disciples and Mary and Martha? No. There's a large crowd of Jews. So in whatever mental image you have, you see that tomb maybe sort of resting, that stone resting on the ground. It's already raised up. People it's over it's terrible. There's a large crowd, a large influential crowd of Jewish people there. The Lord has seen the sovereign working of the of God the Father through the ordinary means to bring all of this together, connect all the dots for this one moment right there. And the whole point of it, and Jesus knows this, and he thanks the Father for his work in bringing all of this together in his providential sovereignty, working, working through the hearts of all these influential Jewish people. Some of them, I believe, were Pharisees. Maybe even Nicodemus was there. We don't know. But they're all there to witness this against their own will. Had Jesus gone to the house and said, come on over, most of them would probably been like, Jesus is not of Nazareth. Probably some would have maybe even gone right then to tell the Pharisees, he's here. So let's capture him, you know, kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but in God's sovereignty, in his providence, he had the Father's providence, he has all these people there to see this. Jesus sees it all, and he thanks the Father for his sovereignty and his control of the circumstances to bring all this together so that they can see this. That they may what? What is Jesus' work concerned? Mm -hmm. That they may lift me up as I deserve. That they may believe. That you sent me. Yes, that they're going to glorify the Father by glorifying the Son. What's interesting, how how can they glorify the Father? There's only one way they can. By believing in Him, right? When you glorify Jesus, you glorify the Father. The Father is all about bringing glory to Jesus. That's so cool. And Jesus is all about showing glory and giving credit back to Him. You can see this working together. For the benefit of each other, I had a <clears throat> I had a friend years ago. She's now a stark raving mad uh, atheist. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way, <laughs> but she's she's very vehemently against the gospel. She was raised in church, very smart person. But she said to me one time, you know, what is it about God that He feels like He has to get this glory? He has to have everybody pat Himself on the back. That's not the point at all. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all about giving each other the glory. 
That's love. They love each other. Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit. They're all part of that inner Trinitarian love relationship. Unlike the God of the Muslims, who is one God, who has nobody to love. There's no love. There's love in the gospel for us because there's love in the Godhead first. Don't miss that. That's very important. That was a that was a select group of people that sinned there. This is not. This is not. But maybe it was for that purpose because there was and I still think it's about midway in his ministry. He does that raising the garrison dollars. But here it's done for the people's sake. Right there, it was done for those who who would believe. Mainly his apostles, Jairus, and his mother. I don't know what what state her her belief was, but she was there. So I assume she believed as well because of the surrounding. It's interesting how here he's showing, and I'm not sure about the other raising uh, with his son. That was on the, they were on the more visible. They were in the processional route. Yeah, to go I don't know who would have been there. It would have been just the family or mourners were there. So I don't know how that would be tied. But I can see, I can see that how this would have been because if you didn't believe back then, Jesus told them not to not to publicize this. You know, so he left. He left that kind of open to that. Because he didn't allow everybody to see that here he doesn't, he doesn't do it. There's no doubt whatsoever, which is why he wanted them to remove, to lift the stone, to raise the stone. Right? For believers and unbelievers. Raise it up. He wanted yeah. everybody to see that's, that's right. And which brings up another interesting doctrine here, too. <clears throat> not, not interesting, but important truth that comes out of this. It's a great point, right? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> and that is. This is definitely a mixed company of, of, you might say, disciples and pretty strong non-disciples. Okay, the Jews are is that group of people that resist him all the way back to even chapter two when he first cleanses the temple. Right? You go all the way back in John's Gospel and trace that lineage again, and they steadily get more and more hardened and resistant. And we're going to see that in the latter part of this chapter when they finally take. Called formal council, and it's, it's a final nail in the coffin. We're not going to have this man reign over us. In fact, we're here and we can stop him. Okay, but this, but that same group has representatives of it that are standing around. Here's here's the doctrine. Here's the truth that comes out of this. Jesus did not need to draw on the faith of those watching in order to do the miracle. His power. And I know I don't think there's anybody here that would actually believe that. But believe it or not, there are there are people who believe that. They believe that your faith and my faith actually has power innate in it. And God can't really act until we exercise our faith and we actually, in, in some of the more extreme uh, people who believe this, 
We actually obligate him, if you exercise your faith and you speak it out what you want in faith, God is effectively obligated to do it. Nothing can be further from the truth. That is blasphemy. That is blasphemy. That makes you God. That's blasphemy. Okay? So don't, don't, and, and, and some of this comes from other gospel accounts where it says, particularly in, in, in his hometown, that he could do no sign there because of their unbelief. Right? It's not saying that he has to have their belief to draw on like a power source in order for him to do the power. What it's saying is that he he didn't he in mercy withheld more signs because they refused to believe the ones that he had done. See, they were already unbelieving, and he was doing miracles, and they still were unbelieving. And so he says, "Okay, I'm not doing this anymore." That's what it means. It doesn't mean he has to have some in the crowd who have enough faith. Well, let's see how the, let me check my faith meter, make sure there's enough ambient faith in the room here to do this miracle. No, that's not the point, right? Because standing around here is an audience that doesn't believe in him for the most part. They're, some of them are vehemently against him, or at least are close relatives of those who are against him, okay? And, and then his own disciples and Mary and Martha are struggling with their belief as well, right? So if you are going to check the faith meter, um, Good morning, good to see you. Thanks. Just coming home for some cooking here. Um, if you were going to check the faith meter in the room, so to speak, I know we're outside, you know, but it would be like hovering right down there in the in the nearly empty realm, you know. I mean it's the, the little light on the dashboard has come on, you know, need to go back to the to the faith station and fill up again. Because okay, there was very little faith. That would be me. Faith. That would be me. I mean, who would, who would think to survive the road to death? I mean, yeah. I mean, if somebody told me, you know, down in the flesh, you're here, there's going to be a man down there that's raised the dead. I would go down to sleep. I would be in disbelief. Yeah. And if you've done it, if you've done it, I would be looking for how you've done it. Yeah, right. You know, like, like these uh, magicians, these great magicians that make things disappear, like, say that 
numbers about it last year. It was about these people seeing Jesus acknowledged and followed for Jesus. And remember, remember those people when they saw Jesus' tears falling down his cheeks. Oh, look how he loved the friend Lazarus. Not realizing that those tears were for them. That's exactly right. He's, he, and, 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 uh, thank you. So it brings us really to the last point of this prayer is that his heart is still for them, even though many of them, and there's going to be, not everybody's going to believe this either. They're going to be, when we, when we read the next section, you're going to see that there are many who believe, um, but there are some that, that uh, that's verse 46 actually, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Why'd they go? Tell them. You want to get Jesus in trouble? It's that student in class, like my wife, you know. <laughs> Peter spoke when you were out of the room. <laughs> the title takes. And they, they, the reason they that is because they don't, they still have animosity. So even as great as that this miracle is, not all of them were excited to embrace him as Messiah. Some were. Some were not. And John sets that contrast out before us. So the second point, if you have the old set of notes there, should read, Jesus raises his eyes. So first point was Jesus raises the stone, despite the objection of Martha. Second point is Jesus raises his eyes in gratitude to the Father. Jesus raises his eyes in gratitude to the Father. I know we're a little over time, but let's finish this because this is Point number three is Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Plain and simple. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's verses 43 and 45. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and walk. That's it. No fanfare, no choir singing, no let's take up 50 offerings, let's keep dancing around here, everybody hold hands and, and, and let's sing kumbaya. No, none of this. No, no drawn out long ceremonial thing. He just simply cries out, says, Lazarus, come out. That's it. And the dead man responds. That is power. That is authority. And like I said, not only to reverse the decay process of a man who is dead four days. I looked it, looked it up, and, um, and your body, I think within 72 hours or something like that, your body's the internal organs are already breaking down, already liquefying. Okay, so so Lazarus's body is is basically hey guys, uh, um, just all those juices and things is just really nasty. Okay, the heat and everything would not have been a pretty sight. Okay, and he comes stumbling out. Notice also that his his head is wrapped with a cloth, <clears throat> um, uh, which is which is characteristic, by the way, of the way Jews. Did burials. This is important because how is Jesus wrapped his body? 
his head is wrapped separately too, okay? Um, which puts to rest, I, I talked to a brother, a dear brother, but he's convinced that the Shroud of Turin is genuine. I don't know if you know anything about the Shroud of Turin, mm -hmm. um, but I can tell you based on the authority of the scripture, it's not. Because the, the Shroud of Turin is basically a sheet, an imprint of a man, his back and his front side, the sheet folded over, completely covering his face as well. And we know from the gospel account that his head is wrapped separately, just like Lazarus. But Lazarus comes out here, and uh, his, his feet and hands down, and uh, his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus is, you can almost see Jesus, as soon as he sees Lazarus coming out, he just kind of half turns away and says to the, to the, to the crowd, unwrap him, let him go. No fanfare, no, you know, look at me, you know, look what God has done, none of this, right? I mean, that's what we do. That's what we, I mean, like Larry said, if some guy was going to raise somebody from the dead down here in Fletcher, you know, I mean, there'd be all kind of fanfare and take up offerings and let's, you know, we're going to stay all night, we're going to set up a tent, we're going to have a week-long revival here, you know. Very simple, very plain, just raises him. Invite him, let him go. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm just amazed at how chill Jesus is all the time. That wasn't so about, unlike us. It wasn't about him, was it? No. He already prayed. It was about the Father. It's always about the Father. It was about the unbelief of the people, too. And he wanted them to believe. And he just walks away, like he did with the girl, right? Give her some food, walk away. Or he prayed to the Father. Something else is very evident. And all the people, all the miracles, all the signs that we look at. And you know how we say, well, God has a purpose for your life. This was Lazarus's purpose. Yeah. You ever think about that? Yeah. I mean, even, even the miracles like in John 9 you were talking about, blind man, that was his purpose. And we may have multiple you know, and I, and I was thinking about this morning. Uh, I'm looking, girls, I'm looking in Esther, and uh, where uh, was Mordecai that tells Esther, This could be your purpose for mm -hmm. going into the kingdom. It's such time as this. And, and he says, He says earlier, You don't think this, God will deliver his people another way. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was thinking that, we, that all of us have a purpose. This is Lazarus' purpose was to die and be raised again. Mm -hmm. And that's that's something that we, we know and talk about, but we don't realize the impact that, that it has. That's all that means. Don't miss again, the whole point of this miracle is that they may believe, and that's still true for us today. And you can't, just like Lazarus, you can't raise yourself. You can beg to God to give you life in your heart. Only he can do that. We are all spiritually dead. We have no ability. The Bible does not make sense until you are raised again spiritually. It just won't. You won't have any interest in that. You'll read stuff in there and be like, I don't have that peace and that joy. Maybe you don't because you're not raised yet. You have a new heart. Only God can do that. 
Father God, thank you for this truth this morning. Thank you for the powerful testimony, display of this account of an event that really happened. We can hear the collective oxygen being removed by the people around the gasps and just the silence for a second or two and then just the unbelievable and the reaction of the crowd as Jesus just walks off. <laughs> it's amazing, amazing display of power. And yet, really, when, when a person truly comes to you in repentance and their heart is transformed, that is a great miracle. Yes, please. We thank you that, as Larry said, though, we also have a purpose like Lazarus did. And we are all born spiritually dead, but you are calling out some to be raised again spiritually in the gospel. And what a glorious thing if that is our purpose, too. To think that from time immemorial you have set aside certain people that you will set your love upon in a special way. You will provide a way for them to be saved, regenerated, and glorified to reign with you and to glory you and to worship you throughout eternity and to join you, Father, as we celebrate your If anybody here this morning does not really know that, I pray that you will. By your spirit, do what only you can do. Open the hearts. They may receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name.